Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord. I'm going to stop right there. So Jonah says, Jonah starts a prayer, and in his prayer, he says, I cried. So he's referencing something that happened in the past. So this is not just one prayer in Jonah chapter 2. This is two prayers. Jonah is saying a prayer of thanksgiving, but he's recalling a prayer that he prayed earlier. Okay, so he says in verse 2, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. For thou hadst cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Thence, I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. And that is a quote. Verse 4 is a quote of something that David writes in Psalms. We'll get to that in a little minute. Uh, verse 5. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. Important phrase. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottom of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee into thy holy temple, that they observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah up onto the dry land. Best verse in the Bible. <clears throat> Whale puke. So, <clears throat> what can we learn from Jonah chapter 2? Well, starting in verse 2, when Jonah says, from the belly of hell, that word hell is the, the Hebrew word sheol. This is a word you've probably heard before in other Bible studies, but it does not mean hell as in Hades, as in the place where lost sinners go for eternal punishment. It is a place that where all the dead went in, in, in that Hebrew tongue. Okay, so it, was, it didn't matter if you were righteous or unrighteous. When you were dead, everybody went to Sheol. That's, that's basically the world of the dead. So verse 2 indicates that Jonah has died. That's the first clue. Then, and I mentioned it in Psalms uh, 31:22, Jonah quotes this in verse 4. Right in the middle of his prayer, he quotes a verse. That's important to know. Because if Jonah was dead, he still had his memory intact. And he was still able to quote scripture while he was dead. And it's also important to know that Psalm chapter 31 is a prophetic psalm that David writes from the perspective of Jesus. In Psalm 31, 5, I don't know if you've got that up, Richard. Does this phrase sound familiar? Into thy hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. That's something Jesus said on the cross. In Psalm 31, 5, David is writing from Christ's perspective. He also did this in Psalm 22 and a few other psalms. So when you get down to Psalm 31, 22, David is still writing from, uh, from Christ's perspective when he says, For I said in my haste, I am, I am cut off from before thine eyes. Nevertheless, thou heardest my voice of my supplications when I cried unto thee. The language of that verse has exact, the exact verbiage that Jonah says in verse 
4 of chapter 2. So in his prayer, he is referencing this psalm. This psalm was spoken from Christ's perspective after he had died. This was Jesus' experience on the cross and in the grave. That's what David was writing in Psalm chapter 31. It's a pretty cool passage of Scripture. So that is another indication that Jonah was dead because he's quoting a verse that was written from Christ's perspective when he was dead. Verse number 5, Jonah says, Even to the soul, the waters compassed me about, even to the soul. That is, a, that is another way to say, I died. <clears throat> then in verse 6, and this one's pretty cool, he says, The earth with her bars. Okay? Now, I don't know what Jonah saw, but something tells me that while he was down at the bottom, he says the bottom of the mountains. So that tells us a little something about hell's location or Sheol's location. You remember the passage of Scripture with the rich man and Lazarus? And he, he opened his eyes and there was this great gulf fixed. Well, a lot of people speculate, partly because of this verse here in Jonah, that at that time, the, the world of the dead was the center of the earth. And so when Jonah says, I went down to the bottom of the mountains, that is pretty much what he was talking about. Now, he had this sight of the earth with her bars, and I'm thinking bars like prison bars. So I don't know if in that location where Abraham was separated from a gulf, if there were bars containing people there, I don't know. But he saw something that resembled prison bars, and he said, it was about me forever. I was surrounded by these bars and I was going to be there forever. And then in verse 7, the most powerful indication that Jonah had died, he says, you have brought up my life from corruption. And this absolutely indicates that he had died and that when he was brought up from corruption that he was resurrected from the dead. And I'm going to show you a passage in the New Testament that kind of validates this language. That word corruption is important. Because what happens to your body when you go on the ground? It starts to decompose. It becomes corrupted. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul tells us, this, he teaches us this great lesson about what's going to happen um, at the rapture. And he talks about, about the resurrection of the dead. He said, so also is the resurrection of the dead in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 42. It is sown in corruption and it is raised in incorruption. Then jump to verse 51. Paul says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump, trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall all be changed. Verse 53, For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And what I'm trying to suggest is that's exactly what Jonah experienced in the belly of that whale. He, or actually, he was in the sea. The whale, I believe he died in the water. The whale swallowed him up and God raised him from the dead inside of the fish. The fish was his protection, so he didn't get picked at by other fish and other things in the water. That's just the way I view it. Um, but I think it's pretty clear from all of the language in Jonah chapter 2 that Jonah did actually die. Um, 
that's also important when we get into talking about the typology of Christ. Because what did Jesus say? Jesus said that like Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, so he was going to be in the grave for three days and three nights. Understanding that Jonah actually died makes the typology of Jonah and Christ that much more powerful because Jonah was raised from the dead and that's what Jesus was saying. He's saying, I'm going in the ground and I'm going to be raised from the dead. And he, you know, he called his shot. Even more than, you know, Babe Ruth who pointed his bat over the wall, says, I'm going to hit this home run right now. Jesus said, I'm going to, I'm going to die. I'm going to be raised from the dead. He called it. And then it happened. And he said, it was just like Jonah. So understanding the typology of the Old Testament to the New Testament makes the Bible that much more believable or authentic because these things could not have happened by accident. So um, that is basically all I had on Jonah chapter 2. But I wanted to get on a little rabbit trail here about the three days and three nights thing because I've been asked some questions before about um, Good Friday and how it relates to three days and three nights. And I did a little study on this, so I just decided to kind of incorporate these two lessons together because when Jesus said, I'm going to be in the ground three days and three nights, he was not speaking metaphorically. He was speaking literally. He says, I'm going to be in the ground three days and three nights. And you can't get three days and three nights between Friday and Sunday. You can try, but it would be pretty difficult to do. Now, when we talk about days in Scripture, there are passages of Scripture where you're talking about a day and it's only really part of a day. It's talking about a piece of a day, but not when you say three days and three nights. When you say it like that, it's talking about three 24-hour periods. So, where does this idea of Good Friday come from? I'm going to show you the problem, the problem that people run into in the Scripture when they try to figure it out, and then I'm going to show you how it can be understood. So let's start in um, Matthew chapter 27. And the problem really comes from uh, not understanding the word Sabbath. We taught on this um, in a lesson that I taught in my Proving Grounds class, we taught a long, I think it was a seven-part series on the Jewish sacrificial system, and we talked about all the different Sabbath days that they had, and they had a lot of them. So we're going to cover that kind of in a small part tonight. It's not going to take seven weeks. But in Matthew chapter 27, it says, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. So when Jesus was on the cross, it was from the sixth hour until the ninth hour. You have to under, first have to understand the Jewish day, okay? The Jewish day starts at 6 p.m., and it ends at 6 p.m. But when they start counting their hours, they start counting from 6 a.m., okay? So when they say the first hour, that's 7 a.m. So when they say the sixth hour, that's 12 p.m., and the ninth hour would be 3 p.m. So we got that part right. Jesus was on the cross from 12 p.m. to 3 p.m. Now let's look at John chapter 19. And this is where the problem starts. And it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour, and he saith unto Jew, the Jews, Behold your king. So John and Matthew agree. This is right about the sixth hour. Look at verse 31. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, 
for that Sabbath day was a high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So when we read that, people immediately think that because it was the Sabbath day, that that must mean that that was Saturday. So they had to get Jesus off the cross before Saturday started. So therefore, he must have been on the cross on Friday. This is where the idea of Good Friday comes from, from John chapter 19, verse 31. But it is a misunderstanding of what that word Sabbath means. That word Sabbath just means a day of rest. And the Jews had lots of them. They didn't just have a weekly Sabbath on Saturday. They also had a whole bunch of different Sabbath days that were connected to the festivals and the feasts and all the things that they did. Um, we, we covered this on Sunday night. Um, Mike, Tenney was, Mike Tenney was there. There might have been a handful of other people there. But we covered on uh, Sunday night some of these festivals. So if this is a repeat for you guys, I apologize. Um, but the first festival of their calendar year that the Jews participated in was called the, the Festival of Unleavened Bread. It was an eight-day festival, and it began with the Passover day on day one, okay? And then they had the Feast of Unleavened Bread on day two, and then seven days later from that, they had the Feast of First Fruits. Everybody was all together for a full eight-day cycle. It was just a big eight-day festival. It was called a pilgrim festival, and everyone that was Jewish was required to travel to Jerusalem and participate in this festival. Well, we've, we saw here that the Passover was part of this entire thing. So Jesus, when he was crucified, he was crucified right in the middle of this festival where everybody had come together to Jerusalem, and the Passover was on day one. The Passover is a Sabbath. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is a Sabbath. The, the weekly Sabbath is also a Sabbath. And then the Feast of First Fruits is another Sabbath. So if your festival of unleavened bread spanned over Saturday at any point, you would have four Sabbath days in that eight-day stretch. <clears throat> so, let's continue. So, back to the Jewish day, and I know I'm kind of bouncing around here a little bit, but the Jewish 24-hour day begins at 6 p.m., and it... And um, then at 6 a.m. they start counting their hours. And I think that was kind of neat. You know, when, when we do our 12 a.m. day, you know, we call it 12 a.m. A.m. means morning. 12 p.m. p.m. is the, the afternoon slash evening. But when God created the earth in Genesis chapter 1, it says it about six or seven times that God made, did this and the evening and the morning were the first day. This is why the Jews had that 24-hour cycle that started in the evening because God created the evening and then the morning. So the, he separated the light from the darkness and the evening and the morning were the first day. That is exactly how the Jews perceived their day. So 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. So a Sabbath day started at 6 p.m. and it ended 6 p.m. the following night. <clears throat> so in Matthew... The sixth hour and the ninth hour, we, we ought to have said this, it was 12 noon to, th uh, to 3 p.m., and I have this little chart, and I want to show you how you can get three days in between the crucifixion and the resurrection, and three nights. 
So if the sixth hour and the ninth hour occurred on a Wednesday, all right, then the Feast of the Passover begins at 6 p.m. on Thursday. It ends at 6 p.m. the next day, which starts the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then now you get into the, to the seventh day of the week, which is their weekly Sabbath. This is they can't leave their homes. They can't do any work. So now they have that observance to, to, to take care of. And then you've got Sunday. That's how you can get it in there. Because when they said that they wanted to get Jesus off the cross because it was a Sabbath, he make, John makes a point to say it was a high day. It wasn't your weekly Sabbath. It was one of their high Sabbath days. It was the Passover. So they were trying to get Jesus off the cross before the festival began, the first day of that Sabbath, because what would have happened had he stayed on that cross? They wouldn't have been able to pull him off. He would have been stuck on that cross Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and they wouldn't have been able to take him off of that cross until Sunday. And you can imagine what would happen to a dead body after sitting on a cross for three days in the middle of their, their springtime. So that's why they had to get him off of that cross, because they weren't going to be able to do it for three days. Now, when it says that Mary was going to go to the tomb, and she couldn't go because it was still the Sabbath day, that was that weekly Sabbath because that didn't end until 6 p.m. Now, she could have left at 6 p.m. and gone to the tomb to go see Jesus, but had she done that, she probably would have had to walk home in some pretty, in some pretty uh, heavy darkness. They didn't have street lights. So she waited until the morning. So it is my theory that Jesus did not rise on Sunday morning, that he, but he, that he rose on s Saturday evening, and that Mary saw him on Sunday morning, and that's when the stone was rolled away. That's how you can understand three days and three nights. You can't get it between Friday and Sunday, but you can definitely get it if you, do, if you look at it like that. So I, th I think that was interesting. That was basically just me attempting to answer a question and kind of tie it in to this story of Jonah. Um, <clears throat> but I think it's important to understand that Jonah died because there are a lot of teachings out there that... Um, undermine or teach that Jesus didn't actually die, that he was in a swoon, that he was just in the ground and he was um, not, not completely dead, and that when he went into the tomb and his body cooled off, that he came out of shock and he revived. Um, the story of Jonah being a type of Christ shows that that's not possible. There's no way Jonah was in a swoon, okay? Jonah was in the water for three days and three nights. And he tells us on more than one occasion through Jonah chapter 2 that he was dead. I was dead, even to the soul. I went down to the bottom of the mountains. The bars were about me forever. But you brought my life up from corruption. All of those things led us to lead us to believe that Jonah was dead. So we should not have any doubts that Jesus also died and was resurrected. The same power that brought Jonah back also brought Christ back. 